0: Alright guys, if you could turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. Okay. Revelation chapter 3. If you're using a pew Bible, that's page 966. Revelation chapter 3. We're kind of winding down now. Remember, we back before Christmas, we started a series concerning understanding uh, the end times. I called it the coming storm and part of the reason why we did this series this study is is that there are so many things that are being said so many conclusions that are being jumped to and a lot of it to be very honest with you is just based on ignorance biblical ignorance And in fact let me just stop from I want to talk about that for a moment I, I was I had a conversation uh, while I was away. Uh, I was with a friend Uh, who's been my friend for 20 years now, and we were talking about how times are different now. And so I can remember when, you know, when I became a believer in in 1985 and I went to that little bitty Independent Baptist Church in West Columbia, South Carolina, the, the average person in the church had a basic understanding of God's Word and truth. And they could just answer Bible questions. And when, when we had prayer meeting on Wednesday, I remember this church of 100, half of the people would be there for Wednesday prayer meeting. That, that was 1985, okay? And, 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 and so there was a sense in which people knew their Bibles. And so I've been really scratching my brain for the last year now, recognizing that there is a biblical illiteracy today. Why, why is that happening? Why, why is that? Well, I was talking with my friend about it because I was encouraging him with his ministry to consider something to do, and he has the means to do it, and and I said, but then after talking with him, I realized, you know, preachers preach the same amount every week. What's the difference? You're hearing a message once a week for me, okay? If you come to Sunday school, you hear Sunday school. What's the difference? Why why is there a difference between the level of understanding today than there is 40 years ago? What's the difference? And then I realized that actually back then, people had a whole lot more um, input in their life concerning spiritual things than they do today. So for instance, when you listened to Christian radio 40 years ago, what did you listen on to Christian radio? What did you hear normally? Anybody? Yeah, preaching. You'd hear from several different people. Old guys who hadn't been preaching for, like, in the 50s or 60s, like J. Vernon McGee or somebody, or, you know, those old guys. Newer guys, whatever. Now, if you turn on a Christian radio today, what do you hear? Just music. Maybe... At some odd hour in the night, you might hear preaching. But you don't hear, there's no, there's no input anymore of what? God's Word being taught. In fact, I remember years ago, it used to be an irritant to pastors to have parishioners say, did you listen to so-and-so this week? He was really good. And a preacher would get offended. like, you're not listening to me? You know, no, no, it's actually good that they were listening to somebody else. But now nobody's listening to anybody else. They're not getting God's Word into their lives. So if you're not personally getting into God's Word and you're not listening to other teaching, the level of understanding among people concerning what God's Word says is pretty low, right? Pretty diminished. And so we decided to do a study like this to kind of help us to understand because my task as pastor is to help you to understand what it teaches about the end times. So when people say crazy stuff to you, like Jesus has already come back, yeah, there are people who say that. Well, we know he hasn't come back. Or we're living in the tribulation right now. Okay, well, we've already seen going through this study that that's not true either. Okay? Or the rapture has already taken place. Well, what, we're left behind? Is that what it is? I mean, I guess that was a movie, right? A book. You and I need to understand what God's Word says. So that's why we're doing this series. So we're going to wrap it up here in three weeks. So today, we're going to talk about a promise. Next week, we're going to talk about His coming and His kingdom that He sets up. And then... The final message is going to talk about eternity and a new creation, okay? Eternity and a new creation. So today we're going to talk about a promise. What do you mean a promise? Well, there's a big question with this whole series and I'm surprised that nobody has asked me it yet, okay? There's a big question that's going on. So here's the first point I want you to see. What about believers and the end times? What about believers? So, George, you've been talking about, you know, you've been talking about these four different things, these four horsemen that happened at the beginning of the tribulation. You talked about the Antichrist. You talked about the false prophet and the mark of the beast. And you talked about what Jesus said before all that happens, about these are the normal things that are going on. But in all of this, you have not said anything at all about us, about believers, And yeah, I haven't, and it's been intentional. Because typically, when we talk about end times, that's where most people want to start, is with believers. Now, actually, I don't want to start there. I want you to understand what's coming first, and then I'm going to tell you where you fit in it, okay? So today, we're going to talk about where you fit in it, okay? Here's the second point I want you to see. We understand the coming judgment, but must we go through it? That's the big question. We understand the coming judgment. So, okay, all right, so let me, let's first of all, let's, let's get our minds set straight here so that we understand what we're talking about. So right now, things are tough in our world right now, right? We've got wars, rumors of wars, we've got disease, we've got pestilence, we've got economic hardship, we've got all this stuff going on, things aren't going happening the way you think they should be happening or you're not happy with the way things are happening in our culture and so forth. And all that stuff's going on. Remember, we talked about that, and Jesus said these are what? Just the birth pangs. These are just the beginnings. And then he says that in the future, there's this final week of judgment, this 70th week. We talked about that, the 70th, Daniel's 70th week. When does it begin? When the Antichrist makes a peace treaty with Israel. And then begins this seven-year period of judgment. And in that is God pouring out his wrath on this world in the final judgment. Because after that, that culminates with what? Israel coming to a place of desperation, recognizing who the Messiah is, and Jesus Christ coming back and establishing his kingdom. All right, so what about us, George? That's the big question, right? Where are we in the midst of all of that? Well, that's what I'm going to talk to you about today. I want to go to a promise. I want to go to something that is taught. Sometimes we emphasize it too much. Sometimes we don't emphasize it enough. But I want to go to Revelation chapter 3, to one of the churches that a letter was written to, to a promise that was given to them. So I want you to notice with me what it says here. Look with me at verse 10. He is writing to the church at Philadelphia. Now, that's Philadelphia in Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey. It's not eastern PA, okay? So this is Philadelphia. I want you to notice what he says here in verse 10. Look at what he says. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance... I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Now, what we have here, folks, is a promise that was given to the church of Philadelphia. Folks, a promise that's given to all believers. It's a promise. A promise about what's coming and what's going to happen with us. Okay, so everybody understand the hour of trial. What's that talking about? Well, the hour of trial is just another way to refer to the coming judgment. What coming judgment? That seven-year period. That seven-year period of judgment upon the earth, which if we want to really get into an in-depth study, we can do that later on, but it's in through the book of Revelation talking about the terrible things that are going to happen in judgment on this world. But it's a promise. And so I want to help you with it, help you understand it in another passage, and then I'm going to talk about the implications. So let's look, first of all, the promise. Here's what I want you to see. We've been called to endure personal struggles with patience. He starts off with, very interesting, before he gives us this promise, here's what he says. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance... My word about patient endurance? Jesus is saying this. What do you mean? Jesus told us in the Gospels, the apostles reiterated through their letters, that you and I need to hang tough right now. Do you understand? You are not, if you want to write this down, write this down. You are not exempt from problems. Do you understand me? Nobody here is exempt from difficulty. Nobody here is is exempt from sickness. I mean, I told you, I got sick. And then somebody said, do you have somebody to fill in for you? Well, you know, I haven't been sick in 22 years. But that doesn't mean I'm never going to get sick. How about be smart, George? Can you just say, I'm not going to be sick today? No, you can't say that. You don't know that. You have no control over that, right? There are things that happen in our lives that we have no control over. Part of what happens in our life is what? Difficulty, struggles. Do we have any control over what? I mean, we'd like to think we have control, but do we have any control over what's going on around us in this world right now? No, not at all. We'd like to think we have, but we don't. And so Jesus says, if you follow me, these things are going to happen. You're going to suffer. You're going to go through difficulty. You're going to go through struggle. But endure. So one of the things he does right off with this promise to the church is to remind them, you're doing what I told you to do. You are patiently enduring. How how are you guys doing with that one? Uh, The patient thing, how's that working out? I'll admit, not well with me, okay? But patiently endure. So here's what I want you to say. We've been called to endure our personal struggles with patience. But then here's the promise. Here's the promise. The Lord promises to keep believers from the hour of trial. He promises to keep believers from the hour of trial. He promises that hour of trial, that judgment that's coming in that seven-year period. Folks, he's promising believers all the way from the beginning, you're not going to be a part of it. that makes sense right because we belong to him why do we have to go through it right makes sense i am so thankful that he gives that promise it's not like you know i was thinking i've got a son who's in the navy now and he went through all his training he's getting ready to go to his duty station here in another week over in washington state and uh was thinking about him going through all this training and stuff and I thought about when I went through training and I can remember back when I and some of you can remember when you were in basic training and and punishment in a unit, in a training unit, isn't necessarily individual although it can be but typically it's mostly group punishment. So you got one guy who acts like an idiot and does something stupid. Guess who pays? Everyone! Then they're like, ah, that guy over there. You know, know, everyone. But I'm going to tell you right now, that's not true when it comes to this issue. How do you know that? We've got the example of Scripture. What do you mean? Well, do you guys remember the plagues that were poured out on Egypt? It's interesting. First two plagues, it, it... Israel got to experience the first two plagues. Why? Because they struggled with belief in God. But then when they got their act together and believed God, from that point on, the other plagues after that, the scripture makes a distinction that those plagues fell on who? The Egyptians, but did not touch who? The Jews. The Israelites. God makes a distinction. So here he is. He's promising you're not going to go through this. You're not going to go through this. So when we think about what's happening in the end, you need to understand you've got a promise, okay? It's going to keep you from it. Okay, so then, well, let's go on then. What's God's plan then? How does he deal with that with us? Well, I want you to go over now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Well-known passage. The rapture passage, verse 13 through 18. Okay, so here we are. Paul's teaching now. He's teaching the Thessalonians, and they were... They were dealing with the same kind of stuff we're dealing with today. They were nervous. They they heard people saying crazy things. And there they, people already said to them that Jesus had already come back. They had missed it. And their their loved ones who were dead were lost or whatever, so forth. And Paul comes along and says, no, 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 no. Don't don't get all worked up. Here, I'm going to tell you what he says here. Look with me at verse 13. Here's what he says. He writes, but I do not want you to be uninformed, brothers. Another version might say ignorant, okay? Do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who fall asleep that, and that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For, thus, for this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will, by, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another... With these words. Alright, so here's what I want you to see God's plan concerning this promise, okay? Here it is. First thing The Lord Himself will come for His people. Used to hear this all the time. I don't hear it as much anymore. I'm part of the problem. I don't say it as much anymore. I used to say that unless the Lord comes, we'll go meet Him through the grave. But if, as long as I'm alive, there's always that possibility that I'll meet Jesus when, now. We don't think that way anymore. We don't, we don't begin our day thinking, Lord, if, if, if I don't meet you through death, I'll meet you, what, through the rapture. I'll meet you through, through the reality of you coming for me. The fact is, he's going to come for us. He's going to come for his children. You and I need to comfort ourselves with that. He's going to come for us. That's the reality. Here's the other thing. We will be transformed, are you ready for this? Immediately. So, when he comes, that transformation happens in an instant. I can't, it's not even a figment of time. I can't even understand. Immediately, we will be transformed. Now, what exactly is he talking about here? folks, can I tell you what's being described here? It's resurrection. When he's talking about raising up the dead at the same time that we're being transformed and given new bodies, folks, that's resurrection. That theologically is you and I are resurrected new and we will be with him forever. Then the battles that we have, like, okay, so, you know, I, I worry about the stuff that happens around me right now, but I'll tell you, there's some other things I worry about even more. Can I tell you what it is? Me. Because it's an ongoing battle with me. What do you mean? Ongoing battle, ever since I got saved, ongoing battle with what? My attitudes, my desires, my sins my struggles, it's an ongoing thing. And, and, and do I get tired of it? Yeah. Do you get tired of it? Yeah. We get tired of the same old stuff all the time, right? We're, in fact, we understand Paul when he says, the good that I want do, to don't do. Do, you know. do, I don't do. That which I want to do, you know, the good I want to do, I don't do. That which I don't want to do, I do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of sin? We understand Paul when he says that, especially as you get older, you realize, man, is there no end to this? But I'm telling you, in that moment, when he comes for us, we get transformed. We lay off this old tabernacle, as Peter says, and we put on a new one, a new tent, a new body that's new, and it's going to be different. That's his plan. When does he do this? Before he pours out his judgment on this world this is the reality you say okay well that's just one passage George." you talk about revelation chapter 3 verse 10 you talked about first Thessalonians 4.13 yeah there's one other one there's and this is where the implications come look with me at first Corinthians 15 just turn there First, first Corinthians 15 50 through 57 here's the implications for you and I okay so here we are And I I hesitated wanting to talk about this because what I find with Christians is is that the whole concept of the rapture is like this giant insurance policy. It's like this whole thing that I can, you know, in spite of all that I need to do, if the world's going to hell in a handbasket, I should just kick back in my lazy boy and just ride it out because he's coming for me. That's the attitude I see sometimes. We know that the world is going to hell in a handbasket, but until he comes, I still got a job to do. I still got to tell others about Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? I still got to tell others about the relationship with Christ so that they can know him so that they don't go through that. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so when I hear people talk about the rapture, I hear them. It's almost like an excuse that they don't have to do anything. I'm just waiting for Jesus to come. We're, we're, you ever heard people talk like that? We're we're in those times now. I'm just waiting. But the implications are something so much more than that. And I want you to grasp here. It is what it is. Okay. Here's the first one. The promise does not exempt us from current troubling times. All right. So you have a promise. The promise of Revelation 3.10 is, I will keep you from the hour of trial. The manifestation of that we see in 1 Thessalonians 4. When he comes, he'll come for us in the air. We are transformed immediately. That is the promise, but I'm going to tell you something. That promise doesn't keep you from going through stuff right now. Don't think that it will. Don't be praying for the rapture when your world turns upside down. Chances are you'll still be praying after you get through whatever's going through right now because what is happening in your world isn't the timetable for the rapture. There's only one person in charge of the timetable of the rapture, and that's God. And he already told you earlier with the promise, endure what you're enduring now what? Patiently. Did you understand? Patiently. And I will keep you from the hour of trial. It's not an exemption. But what it is, is a promise. Here's the second thing I want you to see. And look with me at verse 50 to 57 of 1 Corinthians 15. Here's the implication. Look with me. I tell you, brothers flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does perishable inherit imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. You guys ready for a mystery? Okay. We shall not all sleep. Now sleep there refers to death. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. This is the rapture, folks, he's talking about here. But it's the resurrection as well. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. Doesn't that sound like First Thessalonians chapter 4? In a twinkling of an eye, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this, this perishable body must put on imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on Imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin, the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who through the... Who through us the victory, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's the second implication for you and I the promise expresses the reality of our future transformation. That's the reality. The rapture. It's a wonderful truth, but can I be honest with you? The rapture isn't so that you just kinda hang back and wait for it to come. The rapture is a truth that keeps you going forward, doing what Jesus tells you to do because you know that one day everything's gonna change. Your life's gonna change, the world's gonna change, but you're holding on to a hope and a truth. So okay, George, what do we do with this? All right, here's two things. Number one, I think we got to get a grip on the fact that we're not exempt from hurting. Can I just be honest with you about that? We can look through the Scripture all we want for promise after promise. The fact of the matter is there is no promise that exempts you from pain. There is no promise that exempts you from hardship. There is no promise that exempts you from your world turning upside down and stuff happening that's completely out of your control. There is no promise about that. What there is is a call to you and I to what? Endure. Patiently endure. Endure. And then, number two, put your hope in what's awaiting you. See, this is what the rapture is. The rapture is not just a promise that he's going to keep us from coming judgment, that in itself is terrible. The rapture is a promise that you are going to be different, you're going to be changed. You will forever be completely different. The battle, the struggle with who you are now, even as a believer in Jesus, will be completely gone. He will make you into something completely new. You will lay off what he says here in 1 Corinthians, the imperishable. You'll lay off the perishable and put on the imperishable. You'll lay off mortality and put on what? Immortality. So the promise is the hope to what? Keep hanging in there. Because one day he's going to come. And when he comes, folks, I'm going to be honest with you. What awaits the world after that isn't good. Let me pray for you.